0: hope we have because we serve a savior who's not dead but is risen amen Amen. if you have your bibles i would encourage you to turn to uh numbers chapter 23 numbers chapter 23 last week we concluded our uh sermon series working through the book of second corinthians and this week um is is a week where uh All of us at the different campuses, we're preaching standalone sermons before we launch into the the new sermon series that uh, you heard Pastor Sean mention in the video uh, earlier in the service, uh, which is our core. uh, We're going to be preaching through our core values over the course of seven weeks. And so we, as Pastor Randy already mentioned, we would invite you to be a part of a small group uh, so that you can really work through, talk through the core values that you're going to hear preached on uh, every Lord's Day for the next seven weeks. And we have sermon questions that are available for you uh, uh, out in the lobby area on the bookcase that you can pick up uh, that, that uh, pertain to the sermon every single week. We have, we have them out there for the sermon that you're going to hear this morning, and so we would just encourage you guys to find community by getting plugged in to a small group. Uh, so Numbers chapter 23, um, this morning uh, I want to spend time on working through seeing how the unchangeableness of of God is good for us. And one of the reasons that I want to do that is because over the last seven, eight weeks, there's been a lot of change. Uh, for this church body, both the original Deer Park members and uh, the coastal members who are coming together uh, and we're forming one uh, local church, uh, the Deer Park campus. There's the blending of these two local churches. There's uh, the coastal uh, community church global moving from being a two-campus church to a three-campus church. There's been lots of construction going on, as you've seen, Uh, There are new faces everywhere. There's a new order of service. There are new service times. There are new processes and structures that have been put in place. Um, We hope, and I'll I'll make more mention of this next week, but we hope to introduce a Sunday afternoon service here at the Deer Park campus in October, uh, and you'll hear more about that soon. And in the midst of change, there's always... The potential for disunity, right? The enemy wants to distract us from what really matters, right? What really matters is is glorifying God, right? What really matters is building one another up in the gospel. What really matters is being ambassadors for Christ. And so the question that I've been asking myself is, is how do we maintain gospel-centered unity in the midst of all the changes that we've been experiencing and in the midst of all the change that we're going to continue to experience? Because change is inevitable, right? And I think that the most effective way as a church body that we can maintain a gospel-centered unity is not, not by focusing on all the changes around us, but by being reminded of who doesn't change. right, so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be reminded of the unchangeable triune God, and and it's good for us as a corporate body of believers to reflect on God's unchanging character, but we're also going to see this morning that it's good for us as individual Christians to meditate to reflect on God's unchanging character, because our, our lives are always changing, right? Some of you, you're freshmen in college, you're off to college, you're out on your own for the first time ever. Some of you are experiencing a season of life where you're going through job changes. Some of you may be married for the first time. Like you're, you're, you're experiencing marriage, right? And, and that's new and that's exciting, but that comes with all its own, uh, all, all of its uh, getting used to one another, living with one another. Kids change things. We grow older, right? We experience sufferings in our life. We lose loved ones. And so our lives are always changing, and it happens more rapidly than the, the changes of seasons. And, and being reminded that our God stays the same is not only uh, important to us, theologically speaking, but it's good for our souls. It's not some doctrine that, that's high and lofty that has no bearing uh, on our, our lives, the rubber really does meet the road for us when we think about God and His character, when we reflect on it. And so this morning, I'm going to read Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, and I'm going I'm to read some other passages as well, um, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to spend some time making some observations together this morning. And so Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? This is God's word. So let's go to him and thank him for his word and ask for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, God. we were reminded by Brother Bobby that your word's holy, and the reason your word's holy is because you are holy and you spoke your word. And Lord, we do confess that your word has been kept pure sovereignly by your Holy Spirit throughout all ages, and we can trust your word. We can trust its unchanging character because you're unchanging. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, would open our eyes, Lord, would help us to um, pay attention this morning, reflect on you, and Lord, as a result, you would be glorified and we would be changed forever. And I pray this in our resurrected Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, if you're taking notes, and you can find the notes in your bulletin, the first thing that I would have you write down just from this passage of Scripture is that God is perfect. And, and this is me putting the scripture positively because we kind of have this, this compare and contrast in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, with man and with God. And it's in the context of Balak, the, the king of Moab. And if you know anything about the Moabites, they are descendants of Lot um, from uh, an incestual encounter with his daughters. And they're attempting to, to he's, uh, King Balak is attempting to get a prophet, Balaam, to curse the Israelites, to curse God's people. And in the context of this story, if you were to read uh, even just one chapter before Numbers 23, 19, what you would see is you would see an angel of the Lord appear to the prophet Balaam. And when we see an angel of the Lord, what we're seeing here is the pre-incarnate Christ Balaam the prophet is having an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ and Christ is appearing to him and he's instructing Balaam that he will only speak the words that he's given by God. He's to speak no other words but that which is given to him by God. And so King Balak is trying to get Balaam the prophet, if you're tracking with me, to curse God's people. And the angel of the Lord appears to Balaam and says, What you're going to do is say exactly what I tell you to do. And so, what happens, what's given to Balaam by God, is not a curse on God's people, but it's a blessing. On God's people, and and this angers King Balak, and and in the midst of this back and forth in this Numbers passage, if you were to read it in the midst of this back and forth, we have Balaam's confession to King Balak as to why he can't curse God's people, why he can't curse the Israelites, and this is what he does. We see it in, in nineteen. What Balaam does is he blames God's unchangeable character here in verse nineteen and uses God's character to demonstrate to Balak that he, as a prophet, can't reverse God's decrees. He can't change God's will because God is unchangeable, and he can only speak that which God has given to him, a blessing on God's people, not a curse. So, with, with verse, in verse 19, the passage I just read, we see man characterized by by two opposing qualities to that of God. We see man characterized as, as, as one who lies and as one who changes his mind, right? Man lies, man changes his mind, and everybody in this room knows that this is true because we do this, right? And in contrast, the prophet Balaam confesses that God doesn't do this, right? God doesn't lie. God doesn't Change his mind. God even says uh, he tells Moses right before the, the 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 great exodus in Exodus chapter three verses fourteen and fifteen. God says to Moses, and if you've been in church life for any length of time, you know this. He says, "I am what, who I am. I am who I am." And and Moses is instructed to say that to the people of Israel. He's he's, he's instructed to say, "I am." has sent me to you. And then God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. generations." And so so God, he's revealed to Moses, he reveals himself to Moses as I am who I am. Right? Think about how we've used that expression casually all right if my wife if I have some quirk that annoys her and if you know me I'm like a weird quirky person and uh and she wants to talk to me about my quirks my response could be well I am who I am Now I'd be sleeping on the couch right (laughs) but but for me to say I am I am who I am what am I telling her Right, I'm telling her, I'm telling her, this is what, this is who I am. I'm not changing who I am. I can't change who I am. It's impossible for me to change who I am. And, and of course, it's not impossible for me to change who I am. I'm just being lazy in that conversation. But, but the intent behind God revealing Himself to Moses in that way is that it's, it's impossible for God to change Himself. Right? Are things impossible for God? Absolutely. God cannot lie. God cannot change His mind. God cannot do something that's contrary to His nature. So God does not change. He is who he is. He's saying, I'm uncha- I'm the unchangeable, eternal God. Right? God, God he, he isn't learning. He isn't reacting to man based on something that he didn't know would happen. God isn't growing. He's, he was never born. He isn't old. He isn't young. He simply is. God is. Is and, and it's God's revealed, unchanging character that accomplishes this rescue plan that He had for the Israelites to get them out of Egyptian slavery. God tells Moses to say that He's the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you because I don't change. James in the New Testament he reminds us of God's unchangeableness too. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And so this, this, this good gift giver, right? This father who dwells in light, right, he, ha- he has no discrepancies. He has no discrepancies. There's, there's no changing. His good gifts are, are this overflow of his unchanging character. So, if God's unchanging, what are some implications for us from that? Right? Again, where does the rubber meet the road? Like, how does that intersect with us, practically speaking? And I hope you see this for the rest of the sermon. But if you're, if you're writing notes, one of the practical implications of our God being unchanging is that his, is that his plan and his purpose is always accomplished. His plan and his purpose is always accomplished. That's the second part of verse 19 from Numbers 23 for us. Has he said, speaking of God, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If we were to flip later in our Bibles, we see Job after he's experienced immense suffering, right? He confesses this in Job 42 too. Speaking of God, he says, I know that you, I know that God can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's Job's declaration. And we, we live in a very anxious day and age, probably, probably more so than any time in history, And and I think some people would say this is because the world's getting worse, and and I don't think that that's the case. Uh, Sin's deceived man since the fall of Adam, right? Um, But with the rise of technology, um, I think we're tuned in to bad stuff 24-7, right? It's just 24-7, and and studies show that that negative news actually sells, right? Next time you're watching the news or however it is that you intake your news— uh, try to be mindful, how much, how much time are they spending on the negative stuff? How much time are we, we hearing about some good news? And you'll find that good news doesn't sell, it's the bad news that sells. And, and I think something could be said of the, the biological impact that constant negative news is having on our bodies, but news, especially negative news, without moderation, it can impact our view of God. It can have a big impact on our view of God, and we may not even realize it right? We may begin to believe that this world is out of God's control, right? We may begin to believe that God isn't present in the tragedies of this world. We may begin to believe that God's not all-powerful, or we may begin to believe that God has set the world in motion, and he's kind of Taking a step back and he's just going to see how it all plays back right kind of the the god of the deists if you will but that's not that's not the god of the scripture is it right our god is intimately involved in our lives our god condescended to us in our brokenness and in our mess in the person of jesus christ Right, and our God is the God who he accomplishes his good plans and his purposes by using sufferings and tragedies for a purpose. Right? We don't we don't suffer as as a as a people who, who have no purpose. We don't suffer meaninglessly. God's accomplishing his sovereign plan and his purpose, and, and no one is powerful enough to stop that plan. He doesn't have an equal. Satan isn't his equal, right? He doesn't have any competition. He's the creator God, and he accomplishes what he sets out to do. And there's, there are times in Scripture now, if we're not careful, that we could conclude that God's not in control. We could conclude that he's changing, and maybe he's not all-knowing. And I want to teach us this uh, for a moment. I want to I do a, a little bit of a seminary class with you, and I want to teach us how to harmonize passages of Scripture, because all of Scripture's God-breathed, Right? The scripture is holy. There aren't contradictions. And as Christians, we confess that God's word has, in fact, been kept pure in all ages. We can trust it. We can look to it. And we can have our minds informed about who God really is in the midst of an ever changing uh, culture, in the midst of our ever changing circumstances. And so I'm going to read you a couple of passages of scripture, and I want to harmonize those passages of scripture with context and what we know to be true about God so that we can confess with clear consciences who God really is. And so if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know the account of King Saul. And King Saul was a king for a while, and God removed Saul. And in uh, 1 Samuel 15, 11, we see the Lord say this, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back for, from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel, who's the prophet at the time, was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And if you were to go earlier into Genesis, right, we see all the wickedness that has filled the earth so quickly. And our text says, Moses writes, the Lord regretted, some of your, your translations say repented, that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord say, the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them I mean, both of these passages use the word regret or regretted, and again, some translations say repented, and in difficult passages like this, in the midst of an ever-changing culture, we got to begin by remembering what we know can't be true about God, what we know can't be true about God when we are thinking about God in the context of all of Scripture. The first is this, regret or repent at face value, it seems to indicate that a mistake is made, right? And if that's as far as we take this passage, what we have to do is conclude that God makes mistakes. And if God makes mistakes, then he's not perfect, which is the very first point that we you jotted down in your notes. Perfection demands perfection. Now, perfection and holiness are two sides to the same coin, and the Scripture declares that God's holy, that he's set apart. You see that all throughout scripture you see the seraphim in the throne room of god in isaiah chapter 6 declaring that that god in in this trinitarian formula he is holy 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory and it's god's holiness it's god's perfection that makes us need christ we're not holy we're a sinful people we're not perfect we need to be made holy And Christ makes us holy by the power of the Holy Spirit and allows us to enter into a right relationship with God. And so if God isn't holy or perfect, then we don't need Christ, right? If God isn't holy or perfect, then God isn't much different than us and he's not deserving of our worship. But we see this language in these two passages of Scripture and we see things going on in our cult, we see the ever-changing things going on around us, and we got to wrestle with this text. Regret or repent, sorry, grieved. What do we do with them? There's one commentator I enjoy reading, Matthew Henry. He helps us a little bit here. He says, when in scripture God is said to repent, it is not meant of any change of his mind, for he's of one mind and no one can turn him. But only a change of his way. So these passages, we see, they're not speaking to the character of God. If we are careful if we carefully read them, they're speaking of God's action. So if God has changes in His action, at one point Saul was king, God then removes Saul from being king. The earth existed with all its wickedness, and then God floods the earth. We see these actions, and these actions of God are consistent, or in harmony with his unchanging character. In order to see this, what I want to do is take these passages in context of the rest of Scripture, and so let's briefly break down these two passages. But what 1 Samuel fifteen eleven is saying is that God's plan before the foundation of the world was to have Saul be king for a season— and then raised up a new king. That was always God's plan. So this text is indicating an outworking of God's eternal decree, a plan that God made before he created the world. Now, this new king that God raised up was who? Does anybody know? David. And David is described as what? A man after God's own heart, right? So this new king that God raises up is a man after God's own heart, and that man would be a type of Christ. When we read about David, it should remind us, it should uh, take our thoughts to Christ. And, and David's this type of Christ that would remind the Israelites that a better king is coming. You've had Saul, I'm giving you David. David's great, but I only want David to serve as a reminder that one day a better king than David is coming right? And that man, David, he was a rescuer of God's people, right? He rescued them from the blasphemous Philistines. And just as David was this better king than Saul, so Jesus is the greater David, Amen. right? In Jesus' incarnation, he came from the lineage of David. Jesus is the better David. He's the better king. And just as David rescued the Israelites from the Philistines, so God rescues us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So passages like 1 Samuel 15, 11, they're moving us along the storyline of redemption toward the day when Christ is incarnated. He rescues us through his life, death, and resurrection. And then eventually toward the day that he returns for us and he makes all things new. Isn't that amazing? And that is only an outworking of our unchanging God having an unchanging plan. It's the outworking of that. And the same is true for our passage in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And in it, we see that God's foreordained plan being accomplished without any issues. The Lord wasn't surprised by the wickedness of man. Our Lord isn't a reactor like we are. You know, sometimes I, I may I may react based on someone doing something that I don't like to do, rather than respond to that person. God's not a reactor. He's not frantic. He's not up in heaven hoping for the best for us. He's intimately involved in our lives, accomplishing His plan and His purpose for His glory. And our text indicates that it was God's will for a season, for the earth to go in a certain direction. And in this season as we read in the first six chapters of Genesis, proves to us that we need God's unchangeable intervention, right? So God saves and he rescues Noah and his family from the floodwaters of the earth that he decreed. And just as God saved Noah's family from his judgment, so also does God save his sons and daughters from his wrath for their sin through the person and work of Christ. So again, we see this this grand story of redemption. You see this grand story of redemption. So write this down if you're taking notes. God's telling us the grand story of redemption all throughout the Bible. He's telling us this grand story of redemption all throughout the Bible over and over and over. We see this story being told as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see the covenant of grace that's promised right in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when God promises Eve and the serpent that he's going to crush the serpent's head through Eve's offspring. Who is who? Jesus And we see Jesus accomplish that right on the money from his life, his death, and his resurrection as God promised. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see this anticipation building and building and building. And we're forgetful, right? We're a forgetful people. If you read the epistles, they're constantly—the Apostle Paul and the other apostles are constantly saying, Remember, remember, remember. And I've said this before, but if, if the, the first century church was a forgetful people in regards to this grand story of redemption, certainly us 2,000 plus years removed are quite a forgetful people, right? But God spoke words. Those words were documented. Those words have been kept pure in all ages. And we're reminded from Genesis to Revelation that God has had a plan to send his son in the incarnation to rescue his people. And so as we go through the story of the Bible, we see that told over and over and over again. And then we see, when we turn, on, turn, in, uh, turn to the Gospels, Jesus in His incarnation comes on the scene. And he, it's exactly as God promised and God continued to tell us all throughout the Old Testament. So God... reminding us that he planned our salvation he's reminding us that jesus accomplished our salvation he's reminding us that the holy spirit applied our salvation and he secured it for us for all eternity now how do we know that we're securely saved in the in the midst of our ever-changing emotions in the midst of what can, from our vantage point, seem like chaos all around us at times, in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our own personal sins, how do we know that we're saved for eternity? We know this. God doesn't change in who he is. Therefore, he will save his people. God does not change in who he is. Therefore, he will save his people. Malachi 3.6 six. For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You read that again. For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, Coastal Deer Park, are not consumed. Those of you who are in Christ, right? Those of you who look to the Scripture and you agree with your condition. You agree that, you, that you're dead in your trespasses. You agree that it's only God in the person and work of Christ that can take your stony heart and turn it into a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh that's, that desires to worship the Lord. A heart of flesh that hates the things that God hates and loves the things that God loves. Like, that's your confession. You are in Christ, right? In this unfair exchange, Christ lived in the shadow of our sin His whole life, His whole incarnation, His earthly ministry. He, He bore our sins. And He went to the cross and He endured the wrath of God. Every ounce of it for our sins poured out on Him on the cross. And from the cross declared, It's finished. The work is complete. I've sufficiently saved my people. And then three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that payment was certified by the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Christ rose from the grave, we can have hope, knowing that we will bodily rise from the grave. Not because we're great, but because Christ is great. Right? Because Christ is great. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Right? Our salvation, it isn't based on us. It isn't based on your intellect. It isn't based on your ability to keep the law. It isn't based on your ability to articulate all the doctrines of the Bible. It isn't based on your gender. It isn't based on your race. It isn't based on your age. It's based on the unchanging character of our sovereign God. Salvation is a complete free gift given to us by a gracious, loving, kind God. Right? God has done all the work. He's done all the work. He hasn't done 90% of the work, and there's 10% left for you to do. God has done 100% of the work. The only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin, And our sins lay benign at the feet of our resurrected Savior. God has done all the work and he's unchangeable. One commentator says this, when the church grows cold, right? Because our feelings fluctuate, right? Seasons of warm affections for Christ. Maybe some of you are sitting here as individual Christians and your devotional life feels warm. It feels cold. You're going through a dry season like that happens a lot this side of eternity and so he says when we grow cold and if we don't see faith on the earth the hope of the christian must be founded not on visible works but on the unchanging love of god who will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against her the unchangeableness of god is at once the guarantee that his people shall be cast into trials and tribulations but also that they won't be consumed. A believer's salvation is guaranteed not by, their unchange, not by their unchangeable love to God, but by His unchangeable love to them and His eternal purpose and promise in Christ Jesus. While studying for this sermon, I came across this poem that I found encouraging. In, in our ever-changing seasons of life, God remains the same. The author says this life's changing scenes make their appeal to my poor fickle frame and often change the way i feel but god remains the same when circumstances fluctuate my hope may rise or fall but god unhindered by my state is always overall though hopes and fears by turns arise to steal my heart away the truth without such lows and highs abides from day to day Though prayer may change a lot of things, if God in mercy grant, despite their fancy reasonings, my fickle feelings can't. Unaltered by my feeble sense, all things are in his hands. By unaffected providence, the final outcome stands. God's unchangeableness is good for us, right? Amen. His love for us is grounding, is grounded in his unchanging character. His love for us is grounded in his unchanging love for his glory. And that's ultimately good for us because that's not a shaky foundation. Our salvation is secured. That's why we worship each Lord's day. That's why in the midst of changes, we can have unity as one local church. So we need to think on that. We need to meditate on that. We need to cling to our unchanging God because our final resting place is secure, Rest secure in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You're unchanging, God. And in, in Your unchanging nature, Your unchanging character is the foundation for our hope. It's the foundation for our salvation. It's the foundation by which we can have unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, moving in the same direction, glorifying you, building each other up, and advancing the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning. We're so grateful to be here this morning because you are a great God. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.